Welcome back to the Skits and Giggles podcast. I am Pascal, chief instigator of this show and your host. I'm joined by my co-host and our resident engineer, the yink to my yang, the itchy to my scratchy. Bryson, how's it going today, buddy? Yeah, good, Pascal. How are you doing? All good, all good. Well, I got to do some trail exploring close to home over lunch, so that's always exciting. Nice. Um, how Did you get out for a ride today? Naturally. Uh, yeah, I go for lunch rides. Uh, I went with some colleagues and uh, yeah, they dropped me a couple times, but they were so nice enough to, to wait for me at the top. I'm really, I'm really fortunate and uh, yeah, lucky to have good colleagues. Mm, nice. But uh, you, you're doing quite a few lunch rides recently. Is that a, a newer thing? Yeah, I decided to pick up the road bike, uh, use it as a training tool and just get out to explore the landscape around uh, the work area. Um, yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, there's there's a lot of different kinds of like road construction techniques with like drains going across the road that you got to watch out for and uh, different surface types. And um, it's like in the French uh, Fribourg region. So yeah, it's just, you know, the hillside is completely different than the, the cities that I've seen so far, like the main cities I've seen of, of Switzerland. So it's, it's really cool to experience, yeah, just a little bit out, uh, out of the city. Mm, nice. Very nice. Well, I guess uh, just generally, I think uh, launch rides have been the, uh, the main revelation of this, uh, of this pandemic. The most, one of the more positive things coming out of this and working from home, of course, has been the safe to, to commute every day and spend it on a, on a good old uh, launch ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of exploring, we got a crew back together last weekend to go ride a new zone for us. So we'll be talking quite a bit about that today. There are some good takeaways from this trip that we want to discuss. And we also have a couple of open listener questions we will be picking up on. Before we get to our trip to Squall, let's just get some housekeeping out of the way and briefly mention the social and where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast. We are currently most active on Instagram, where you can skid right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. If you guys like what we're doing and want to follow along, just give us a follow on Spotify, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Also, sharing our episodes with your writing buddies or a quick five-star rating on your favorite platform goes a long way in reaching more good people like you. Right, let's now get back to playing bikes. Bryson, why don't you talk a little bit about last weekend? Maybe uh, lay out for the listener what we were up to. Yeah, we were in this school region, and that's, um, that's a valley in the Graubünden uh, canton of Switzerland. Uh, we were very fortunate enough to get like the best weather, or the basically the start of the good weather uh, in this country on the time that we started this trip. So uh, it was a little bit of a suffering for me from the heat uh, and all the climbing on my big bike, but uh, I did definitely enjoy it. I've always wanted to visit school. It's uh, actually, well, okay. So truth is I want to visit every region, <laughs> Uh, but school has definitely been uh, on the list since we went uh, the first time to Russian Pass because you drive along this, you drive in this direction and then there's this signs like turn for school, turn for school. And then we go blow right past them and we go to Russian. And I'm always like, that's such a funny, funny word. Like what, and what is that? And anyhow, we, we ended up there. Fantastic weather, fantastic trails, um, fantastic company. 
I had no expectations, but um, definitely um, happy I went there, and I would I would recommend it to some people depending on what kind of uh, what kind of experience they're looking for. But yeah. You know. Well, yeah, as you say, I mean, I guess it's uh, it really is the the, the true kickoff of uh, of the Alpine season uh, in Switzerland. Uh, I guess last weekend. I mean. Because so far we've had, uh, well, we actually had quite a, a few nice spots of weather in, like already in February and uh, uh, in April already. But uh, I mean, May has been pretty horrendous. And this has really been the, the first weekend where, you know, or the first couple of weeks where the snow could melt away and um, we could really get into the alpine zone. So anything above the, uh, the tree line. And, uh, you know, most of the trails are cleared and uh, the gondolas are open and, uh, and that obviously makes it uh, much easier to get around. But, um, so yeah, but it, what do you think of the trails? I am a fan of uh, natural trails. and That's uh, basically what Squall can provide. Uh, even the trail that was right underneath the gondola uh, was quite natural and raw, rudy, Um it was beautiful, actually. I just, uh, I, I wouldn't mind just going back there for one day and just doing laps on that one trail. It's, it's, uh, I remember just coming down it, you know, smile all the way across my face saying, I want more of this. I want, this is like all I want to do. And, uh, we did a lot of other types of trails and that was really cool to explore and see all the different, uh, panoramas and vistas from the different spots. We got up to quite a few uh, snow lines, uh, tree lines, and yeah, like you said, we're in the Alpine. Um, it's been a while, but uh, it's really nice to get back out there and like work for it, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, as you say, I mean, I guess what, uh, what is the most um, impressive in that area? It is um, the area is called the, the Lower Engadine, so the Unter Engadine um, for the Swiss German speakers. And uh, what is the most impressive and beautiful is that you have this valley floor where uh, you also have um, a lot of these little castles that are sitting on top of the hill um, somewhere in the valley. And then on both sides of the valley, you have, um, uh, you know, the mountains that, that reach up to, what is it, 2,500 meters, 3,000 meters and stuff like that. So pretty decent elevation. And, uh, you know, now at this time of the year, so we're as we were recording this, it's the middle of June, it is uh, all the greens are popping, the, the trees are out in you know, full bloom and uh, you know, the, the fields are all green and the flowers are out. So it's just, it's just very beautiful. And, and as you say, what is uh, you know, very, very nice for the first time in the year is actually to get up on a, on a gondola, get off the gondola at over 2,000 meters and then not step into snow and put your skis on, <laughs> but to, to actually sit on your bike and uh, get a couple of, uh, of cool laps in. Throughout Switzerland, and we discussed this before, you can definitely hop on gondolas. There's several, most, uh, well, most that I've encountered are, you're allowed to take your bike, Scalon. Uh, so for example, we have uh, the Davos region, which we spoke about uh, at length, uh, Lenza Hyde and so. Um, what would you say is like the contrast or maybe similarities? Um, some of the things that came to mind when you were out in school this weekend. Well, that's actually an interesting, an interesting question. I think it's the, um, what has, what struck me also, not necessarily with, with writing, uh, but also with, uh, talking with, uh, 
with our guide that we had and like the the owners of the the guiding company uh, that we booked is that uh, it just appears that the region is um, not saying behind, but maybe in the terms of the trajectory of um, fully focusing on mountain bike tourism, it's uh, still a little bit a couple of years back, maybe from a place like Davos or, or Lenzerheide or Locks. Um, so there's, um, you know, there's still not quite openly, but there's like in private, there's still kind of these discussions going on about uh, uh, the use of trail. Is this a hiking trail or is this uh, a bike trail? Is it a shared trail or whatever it is? And, you know, most of the region or in the canton of Gabunden, it's usually a shared trail policy. And, um, you know, there were a couple of instances where you, you just mentioned that trail under the gondola Moto Naluns, which is, you know, fantastic trail. Um, but, um, you know, we were told afterwards that this is actually, you know, more of a more of a hiking trail and and it's only to be used as a bike trail uh, at certain times of the day and uh, and that's not something we're we're really used to in the other destinations um also um you know i've heard from the guide as well that uh, in some areas in the valley we've explored a couple of areas in the valley that there's still some discussions going on of like uh are bikers allowed in this area at all, or is it um, you know only for hikers or only for whatever other trail users for farmers and stuff like that, or are bikers allowed there? Um, so yeah, so kind of some of the issues that you you uh, you you know from the past and uh, and that have uh, eventually been resolved. So I, I understand that the the region is only now getting organized with um, with like a trail association that is looking after the trails. And uh, of course, established trail networks and trail maintenance, and uh, you know, some kind of uh, institutional trail management generally helps in in uh, avoiding conflict and uh, and uh, making sure that the infrastructure is upkept and it's suitable for everyone. I'd definitely say that uh, on day one of two, um, that big traverse we did was definitely giving me a little bit of reminiscence of uh, some of the alpine riding and traverse traverses we've done in Davos. Uh, what do you think? Um, now, obviously, okay, I'm not... Davos is definitely a much more developed, same with Lenzerheide and, and these other areas that you mentioned. They're much more developed in terms of their trail networks, their uh, capacity to maintain, um, and also their infrastructures. And, of course... Um, it is a topic across, uh, you know, several regions across the world is how do we get more people in? And there's a balance because you don't always want to um, get too many people in. You don't want to, uh, like, destroy the way things naturally work in that in that region, whether they be uh, for horseback riders only or hikers or, like, maybe it's not normally a mountain bike region just because of some, some rules or whatever. Um how do you think that the? What do you think it is that the that the that these destinations like Davos and Lenzerheide are are doing, or how do you think that they have maybe an advantage that uh, they can offer uh, such a such an offer for mountain bikers, whereas school has not yet been able to to provide that. 
Well, I believe the the most obvious one, and I think you've made uh, um, you you figured that out yourself on day one with a nine hundred meter climb, uh, is that uh, the uplift infrastructure is not quite as uh, not quite as advanced and uh, and um, in, in big as big numbers as in other areas. Um, so there is in this whole uh, region there is only two lifts that uh, can take you up. So there's the gondola and the chairlift in Fdan. Uh, the other side of the valley is only served by a um, by post auto, so the the post bus, uh, and that only has a, a rack for five bikes. So that's also kind of limited, and especially when you're traveling with a group, then that's um, a bit limiting. Um, you know, and if I contrast that, for example, with uh, with doubles, obviously I know very well um, there is uh, six mountains you can take your bikes up on. Uh, with with all high capacity, uh, with all high capacity, so they can actually bring a lot of people on 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 the mountain and across user groups. So it's not only uh, mountain bikers that they're transporting up the hill, but it's also there's enough room for also hikers and um, and other other users or other people that want to get up on the uh, up on the mountain. Um, so yeah, that's certainly a bit of a bottleneck. Um, I mean, of course, the flip side to that is if you have, uh, you know, the necessary fitness and uh, the the willingness to do a little bit of pedaling and uh, or quite a bit of pedaling, um, there is some fantastic scenery to be explored uh, on the uphill. Uh, I mean, you know, the second day when we were um, riding up, yes, it was the, the main road, but it was uh, very beautiful through through a golf course and then up to Schloss Tarasp, which is a, you know beautifully restored little um little castle up on a hill uh it also has very nice nice trails around it um you know that that is uh, that is very very nice and i think um in terms of the the user group i mean you know if you have an e-bike with a decent uh with a decent battery and um then then you can do uh, quite a bit of trail damage in in squall i believe yeah you're right actually um and and one of the one of the things uh, that I I noticed, but it didn't really like struck me so much, is that uh, there wasn't so many other mountain bikers around. It was sort of like when I was in. It it wasn't it wasn't like there were no mountain bikers there because we definitely saw a few groups pass by um, at a distance or maybe even just right across us. Um, but it wasn't. It was definitely a different experience. Um, for example, when we were in Davos, there's lineups of uh, people jumping on lifts, uh, standing alongside trails randomly as you descend, uh, in in all of the um, Gusthofs and restaurants at the the middle station and at the bottom and things like that. Uh, whereas here, um, it almost felt like we were the only group uh, touring this mountain. And given it is still quite early season, so there's still going to be a lot of people who are waiting for the trails to dry up even more. We did walk across a few snow patches, just very small ones, but still there's those user groups who definitely will wait until it's completely uh, dry in order to go out there. And uh, But you make a good point about the e-bikes. So getting having that motor is really going to give you that edge when it comes to getting that extra uh, elevation because the, the gondolas really don't go all the way to the top, whereas some, whereas some places they do. Well, especially if you think about uh, 
You know, we've talked about it in, in other uh, conversations, but I mean, if you th- think about uh, modern modern e-bikes, so the ones with like smaller battery, but like uh, decent capability. So I'm thinking of the most recent offering of Specialized, for example, or the new Orbeas. Um, you know, that's uh, it starts to be very interesting, especially for, for trips like that, where, you know, you don't necessarily want like the full turbo boost all the way up but uh, just a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, support could be a great equalizer in a bigger group right so for example in our group that would have made could have made quite a bit of a difference right so I mean uh, I understand you were, were struggling quite a bit it was it was part of it was part of what made my weekend special yeah definitely struggle <laughs> the struggle well you know you know, you know something's worth it if you struggle, I guess. Oh yeah, for sure. That was more of a joke. But you also brought a, uh, you also brought a, a pretty big gun to a knife fight with your uh, with your free ride bike. That's uh, not necessarily of a weight class that is <laughs> destined for <laughs> multi thousand meter climbing days. That's true. But I noticed uh, you put a coil coil on your bike, so I thought, okay, I'll bring my bike with a coil. Yet he's got a coil on his bike. Um, well, so, yeah. it was sort of like, okay, I think I think it's about time I start I start riding it. It's just um, why not? It's it's a little bit of training, and yeah, uh, I am a little I'm quite a bit slower. It takes a lot more energy, but Very much I, I faster think, on the downhill. It's uh, simple physics. Yeah, totally. It, it was super comfortable, actually. I. I f- fell in love again with that bike um, after making some of the modifications. No, uh, I changed the tire. I changed the pressures in the tires, added some sealant. So I had no problems there. But um, yeah, the setup was the bike of the bike was really good for the down. So I'm really happy that I got to take advantage of that. And I would love to take it more often. Uh, I but you know, I have to get over that fear of like we're pedaling too, we're pedaling so much that I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, it's too much pedaling. Maybe my heavy bike is the wrong gun, you know. But yeah, I think I just I'm just gonna try pushing harder and taking it out more and uh, seeing how far I can take myself and see push push the limits of of your guys's patience when you get to the hill. <laughs> and you're you you've you've paced yourself higher and then you're at the top just cooling down waiting for me to steam up <laughs> yeah we, we're waiting for uh you know our uh down jackets because it's uh, of course 2500 meters it starts getting a bit chilly with the wind and everything and uh by the time you arrive <laughs> we need a we need a warm-up again but uh, all the joking aside, I did note that you um, you rotated, rotated your uh, brake levers up uh, quite a bit, so I, I thought I'll take partial credit for that. Um, the um, so yeah, maybe uh, just in summary, what was the um, was your maybe a uh, personal highlight for you from the trip? The personal highlight for me would definitely be the bike bag that I picked up. So it's one of these bags that you use for air travel or whatever. So you take apart, the, you take the wheels off the bike, you take the handlebar off, you kind of all store it together and wrap it all up and then like put the wheels in separate pockets beside the bike and then you zip it all up in this giant suitcase filled with the bike. Um, and it's got, it's got wheels on one end, so it was definitely manageable to roll around. Um, and then as a side highlight, uh, I decided to take the train 
Um, so I have like, you know, the subscription, the yearly subscription to the train and it was worthwhile to do this experiment because I've, I've never had one of these travel bags and I've always wanted to use it. I was, I've always wanted to have one. And since I've had it, I've always wanted to use it, uh, on a trip. But since we've had, uh, a pandemic going around, uh, travel has been limited. And so I think, yeah, I, I'm really happy. I took the opportunity to pack the bike in the bag, learn how to use it how it's how mobile it is, how resistant it is to tipping, and how easy it is to roll on and off trains. Um, so, yeah, I, I, all in all, it was a success. I'm really happy with the with the product, and I'm really happy with um, using that form of of travel. I think it's a, it's an economical way as well as um, uh, as I said before, it's like quite convenient in terms of travel in Switzerland to, to use the train. So, oh, for sure, for sure. How about you, Pascal? What's a highlight? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's always good to to have a good uh, a good crew um, to together. I mean, the the good vibes, good vibes only. Um, we're a bit. Uh, Unluckier with the with the accommodation selection compared to our last trip, but uh, we. Oh, made sorry it, for the snoring. We made it. We made it work. <laughs> there was only one toilet for four adults, um, but you know we made it work. Um, but uh, yeah, no, so in terms of the the highlights, I guess the yeah, it's it is that first trip to the Alpine. You know, there's still a couple of patches of snow, but you make your way around it. Um, Yes, the views are just stunning, and the, the riding has been great. And uh, I think, in terms of the the riding zones, I actually enjoyed um, the second day uh, on the other side of the valley. I enjoyed that quite a bit. That was that was good fun. A bit of a pedal, but um, some good 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 fun and uh, some some interesting trails. Kind of loamy, rooty, subalpine forest kind of stuff, and uh, that's uh, that's always a good uh, a good time. Yeah, it was a really interesting region on the other side. Um, a really different character, actually, is what I is what I is what I felt. Because I took a little break and I was just uh, there, chilling out, re- relaxing. As you guys went for one extra loop, and um, yeah, I just kind of felt like again I was in a different country. Like you know, I'll say this I'll say this again and again. In Switzerland, you go to different areas and you just feel like you're in a different country. You don't feel like you're in the same Switzerland that you 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 live in, or that you visited multiple times. It's um, yeah, it's a really cool feeling that that uh, that you get. Um, what I found also really cool about uh, well, not really that other side, but right in between the two sides, uh, there's that uh, there's that lar- large river flowing through the valley, and it, we happened upon a really cool restaurant that was right up alongside the river and. Uh, it's really nice to hear like the rushing water as you eat your your tofu bowl and uh, have your uh, non-alcoholic vice beer. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a very good spot. Very good spot. Um, yeah, oh, totally. Um, well, I guess uh, after the last weekend, we can't not talk about pre-cramping. So this is not necessarily a listener question per se, but a request from for answers from the United Return Home in the car crew, which included myself, as well as Yeti and Louisa. So, uh, Bryson, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on the different stages of your cramping? Yeah, so 
I'm pretty well known for cramping and I'm pretty well known for not passing out, but like laying down when I get to the top of a big climb. I just feel like it, uh, you know, like the, the whole body relaxation of just getting horizontal is just, just reviving, just, just amazing anyways. So the pre-cramp, um, I think, I, I think where it stems from is I was having a really hard time telling you guys that I was about to cramp. And for me, it's almost like a, like a hair trigger. So I'll just know I'm about to cramp, like right as I'm cramping. And then I say to myself, okay, I need to stop now because one more pedal stroke or one more meter or whatever it is, it's like, it's, it's going to spring. And then I'm pretty much going to have to call it or like take like a decent rest so that I can let it uncramp, relax, get the blood flowing and then allow it to like start working again, right? So the way I tried to explain myself was I'm pre-cramping, so I know I'm going to cramp. And therefore, uh, it, it kind of sends the signal to you guys to let you know that, okay, so we think he's cramping, <laughs> but he calls it pre-cramping. Uh, in any case, um, I did end up cramping, but it wasn't so bad because I was able to take that small break. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, I had the cramp, which wasn't so bad. Uh, I was able to recover from it fairly quickly and, uh, you know, kind of without commotion. Uh, but of course there was also the post cramping. So we can talk about that in another episode maybe. Oh, well, I have, uh, I have photographic evidence of the, uh, of the post cramp. Uh, once we made it up to that uh, little lake where we were going to, so you had a little, a little lie down. Although the funny thing I couldn't document because the, the funny thing is you were so in your in your post cramp state you were so uh, so focused on finding a nice spot to lie down um, you just uh, you know put your bike away and then walked over to a nice spot in the shade and uh, just threw yourself on the floor to do your whatever relaxing yoga pose that you didn't quite realize that, that you <laughs> lie down right next to an enormous ant hill. And uh, I was like, oh, well, why is it tickling on my back so much? And I was like, well, because you're lying right next to an anthill. It was, it was like, huge. It was huge. So, oh, it's like uh, the size of my bike. Exactly. So, so you got up and, uh, and then, of course, uh, you, you found uh, the, the, the needed rest for, uh, for the post-cramp. Hmm. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, cramping always is a, is a little bit of a sign of some... Uh, of a muscle doing something that he's not quite used to. Um, I mean, have you have you done any preparation for uh, for uh, this big uh, riding weekend? I mean, we have to be fair. I mean, the, the brief was pretty clear. I mean, it was like Saturday is going to be a bit of a pedal and uh, you know some some more quite a bit of downhill, and then Sunday is going to be a bit more uplifts and a lot of downhill. Um, so, what was your preparation looking like? Well, as I alluded to before, actually, as I mentioned before, I've been riding my road bike primarily as a training tool, and I've been doing a little bit of like uh, hill intervals or just sprinting up sections of the hill, which I feel like, hey, I'm doing this in preparation for for my big mountain adventures. Um, You know, elevation is a different thing, so that whole like, you know, slightly less oxygen, so that also plays a role. However, you know, it really comes down to like this muscle just not being able to cope. So the training rides at lunch, basically I've been doing it. 
And um, actually, I have to admit, I'm very sorry, but our rides are also a form of training ride for me because I know we're going to be riding uh, more throughout the season and we'll definitely be going on longer days uh, and even consecutive day trips. So if I'm pushing hard now, it just means that further on down the down the road in the season, I'm just going to be a little more fit and prepared to continue and not have to to bail out early of uh, our, our following trips. No more but, pre-cramping or post-cramping. Well, I'll, def- I'll definitely have some. <laughs> I'm not guaranteeing anything. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, drinking a lot of water, trying to do that whole thing, um, trying to do the, the minerals intake and uh, trying to... I actually became a lot better at uh, the energy management, so making sure I'm snacking enough, snacking oh, yeah. the right things. Um, Always be snacking. Yeah. Secret. Every ride I'm snacking. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I guess with that, we, um, as we mentioned earlier, we also have uh, some open uh, listener question. And this one is actually pretty... Pretty, pretty perfect for this, uh, this riding trip. So um, Mr. T, my dear friend JT, he wants to know, and I think you, Bryson, should have something really interesting to say about this. He says, in quotes, why does no single pro rider use the techniques advocated by skills coaches? And I think it's a great question. And I think we can maybe illustrate later a little bit with the uh, with the switchbacks that we encountered uh, over the uh, the weekend. So what do you got on this, Bryson? Um, I haven't ridden with a lot of pros, um, but I will say the ones that are fast uh, have their basically their own techniques, their own skill sets. And whether they develop them before they learned these um, recognized skills that they teach in um in courses or whether they've taken these skills at the basic level and then evolved them to match their speed and technique and their style i don't i'm not sure maybe it's a it's a constant evolution or a mixture of the both or whatever it is but um what i can say is that it's it's a whole different ball game especially for fast guys taking the base technique it's really just a fundamental. It's like it's almost as if it's just like a, a thesis. It's just a basic part of what they're doing. Because when you have higher speeds, you have higher forces going through the bike. And you are moving the bike more dynamically to cope with the terrain coming at you faster. So you're going to... Yeah, maybe it's really interesting to watch like... Um, Johan Varelli and uh, Remy Metallier doing their their slab stuff, or they're they're doing some videos where they break down the kind of the kind of moves they do. But in reality, they're moving like super fast, and then they're hitting the the transitions super hard and super quick, and then making really fast moves. And I can't see it. I I mean, I don't see any of that happening. Do you? Uh, I'd probably be lying if I said I do. Uh, I kind of have a feeling what what's going on, but uh, again, as you say, right, the nuances are too, 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 too small and too like minute details to to actually 
you would have to have like a super high frame per second uh, camera to actually see what's going on and then like break it down in like super slow-mo and stuff like that so um but yeah no i mean the uh <clears throat> why i thought it was interesting is of course uh what we haven't talked about yet uh when it comes to our trip to school is um that it is also a great destination to work on your uh on your euro endos on your switchback technique on your I don't even know. I want to know what I don't even know what you want to call it. But I mean, it's uh, you know we talked about it with uh, Nick Vicky when we talked about uh, designing an EWS race course and, uh, and some of the North American teams complaining about this European race tracks and yeah, it's having these switchbacks and awkward corners and stuff like that. So I think Squall is a pretty decent uh, location to be practicing those and. Um, to come back to, to to the question from from JT is my personal view is that there is just um, there is no one single way that works uh, for everyone. I mean, it's as as you say, it's kind of a good, it's a consensus, it's a kind of a starting point. But uh, you know, if I look at the group that we had this weekend, so we had including the guide, we were five people. So we have on the one end of the spectrum, we have Yeti, who's almost two meters tall. He rides a double XL mega tower 29er with a very long wheelbase. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Louisa, who's, you know, no offense, probably around 170. She rides a medium sized 29er, uh, which in and of itself is almost impossible to get a thing like that around the corner for her, but uh, she made it work, and she, you know, out of the group uh, of us, uh, I would say she she get got around those um, around those switchbacks uh, uh, most efficiently, and I think we called her the no, I don't think I know we called her the queen of the switchbacks. Um, but then there was also you with a you know with your twenty seven twenty seven five free ride bike there was uh, the guide with also twenty seven five um, kind of trail bike myself with my um, big wheeled um, enduro bike uh, also in a size large so not quite the, the the shortest of all bikes and and somehow we all kind of got around around those corners in <laughs> more efficient or less efficient ways and uh, yeah so that's, um, I think that's the that's my take on it. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's again, you know, it also depends on 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 what you need, right? So if you're a racer, then of course you want the the most efficient way to get around the corner, and not necessarily is that the most technically clean way of like, you know, approaching your turn very wide, and here's your breaking point, and this is where you put your front wheel, and then you endo a little bit and get your back wheel around, and then you hop with the front wheel, and then you start pedaling again, and you know that all looks cool on an Instagram video, and or an Instagram reel, but uh, at the end of the day, if you're in a race, probably the most efficient way is to put your foot out, pull pull your rear brake, just slide the back wheel around, get back on the pedal, and start pedaling again. Fair enough. And that's sort of where I saw my style evolving as we were navigating all these switchbacks through the weekend. At first, I started out doing it like classic, where I like basically go wide, get slow down, come in tight, and then uh, try to balance through the turn. Like these are very tight. And so I was going very slowly around these turns, balancing 
feathering the back break only basically. And then kind of coming around, getting one quarter pedal stroke or so in to like get get me coasting enough to like pump or get to the next switchback because sometimes they were like quite uh, close in succession. Um, and then uh, I started following you. I started following Luisa, started following Yeti and the guide at some points. And everyone has a different style. And some of them stuck to their style. And some of them were also improving on their style or evolving it and stuff, such. And like one thing I picked up from Yeti is like, well, his bike is too long. So on a lot of them, he would just basically stop and pick his front wheel up, pivot his whole bike and body around this turn with his foot down and then continue on. And I thought, okay, well, you know, on some of them, this is necessary as well. Like the ones that aren't such a steep switchback, it's no risk to basically like almost come to a stop, foot plant and just use your momentum to swing your bike over because the risk is very low. Um, maybe other ones where they were with a steeper exit and therefore I didn't want to like try to do any of that because yeah, maybe if you lose footing or put your foot in the wrong place or whatever, you're not really setting yourself up for such a safe exit. Um, and then there's Louisa. She basically was like, uh, a mixture of like creeping around a little bit of like rear wheel sliding just a bit, just to, to kind of a do like a a smaller pivot. Um, But for most of it, she was basically practicing. And that's why she's the queen. She just was trying to clean everything. And so I got a little bit of motivation from that. So I continued on with my technique. And then I got a little bit of motivation from Yeti, who also did a little bit of uh, foot plant and then like pull the e-brake, rear wheel type of just like whip himself around the corner. Um, And then, well, actually, I didn't see you too fast. (laughs) <laughs> no definitely not i mean some of those some of those switchbacks were just uh so tight i mean crazy and uh so yeah certainly on the on the second day which was um yeah again one of those typical very high alpine so it was like yeah, starting at 2500 meters basically a cow track down down the hillside and uh yeah so there was like a switchback every 20 meters um very tight, very exposed, and then uh, yeah, I think you and uh, and Yeti, you decided that you had enough of the switchbacks at some stage, and then just took the the free ride line down the ridge, and uh, and be done with it, rather than struggling around those uh, those awkward turns all the time. Yeah, but in the end, we only skipped three, so it wasn't that. It well, it was worth it for sure because it was like, hey, yeah, because well, there was a line there. You know, it's not like we just kind of went willy nilly, but uh, yeah, I. It was just to mix it up, I think, more so for me, anyways. Just wanted to say, oh, wow, okay, like Yeti found another line. Let's try that one out. Okay, it brought me a little bit further down, so let's continue going on. But actually, I did really enjoy the switchbacks. I'm not anti-switchback, um, but on the other, but to contrast with that, I'm not one of these like pro front wheel endo pivot type of guys. Like, I oh, yeah. can do it like at small hop at like very sort of old school trials guys like standing in one spot balancing your bike hopping around and no lift the front <laughs> wheel lift the back wheel and like no basically it's la- for me it's last ditch effort and if i pull it <laughs> off i'm lucky <laughs> exactly but then you everyone knows about it because you're like yeah guys did you see that that's just how it's done <laughs> i put it it's on the ig check it out i yeah, send you a link it, put it on the gram 
All right. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, I think that uh, that answers the question. I think it's just, uh, again, um, skills or techniques advocated by coaches are typically like a baseline. And, um, you know, that gets people around a certain obstacle relatively safely. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the, the fastest or the most efficient way or it suits every rider type, rider style or rider size for that matter. I think that's the, the main the main point that we wanted to make. So, seeing as we don't have a guest today... Again? Ah! We, we really got to get on this. Anyways, we thought it would be really interesting if we did these uh, closeout questions with Pascal, because he's yet to do one. I did mine on the last uh, non-guest episode. So, so it's your turn, Pascal. Let the listeners know a little bit about the first bike that got you stoked on riding. Uh, well, the uh, the first bike that got me stoked on riding that was actually pre mountain bikes, and I'm I'm well certainly here in Switzerland, and I'm kind of dating myself. Um, that was a blood red and gold Bonanza BMX um, that I got when I was uh, I think about three or four years old, and um, we, um, both my brother and I, we rode the proverbial shit out of this bike. We had it for such a long time. We rode it everywhere. We raced it around the, you know, the, the block where we uh, used to live when we were uh, little kids. Uh, you know, did little races around the block with the neighbor kids. And then when we moved away, we moved closer to the forest. And then we... Of course, we were allowed to play in the forest because in the 80s, no one really cared about, <laughs> you know, where your kids are hanging out during the day. So you're just outside and playing. And uh, we took the bike out, built little jumps, built little racetracks and stuff like that. So until uh, until we pulled um, so many skids that, um, that uh, we, you know, started destroying tubes. And then my parents started complaining about always destroying... Uh, rear tires and, and tubes and we always needed to go to the bike shop because my parents couldn't or didn't want to change the tires themselves so at some stage they were like well that's that's got to stop and then and then yeah we got kind of bikes that were not quite so suitable to be ridden off-road or pulling skids but uh to uh so maybe to first mountain bike uh really um yeah that is that the gt lts um from uh what was that 1996 so the first one, LTS2 with the coil shock. Um, it uh, so yeah, and over time I just collected parts. I could work during the summer um, to to have the, the money to to be upgrading the bits and pieces that you needed at the time. So that of course included a bash guard for your chain rings. That included included the chain tensioning device, the CBD at the time. Uh, you had to have the motor bars with the, the cross beam reinforcement over the top. And I think my most prized possession at the time was a pair of uh, neon orange Johnny T Maguras. Because obviously uh, Johnny T, uh, John Tomac, was a personal hero of mine when it came to riding bikes. He's a big star in the early 90s, uh, both in mountain biking as well as on the road. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, uh, was one of my most prized possessions. And I guess uh, that also got me into riding... Uh, um, yeah, got my, my, my law for riding fast. Uh, I think both uphill and downhill that, uh, 
that was the bike that got really got me stoked about that. So for you, the skids and the giggles go deep. Sounds like it goes way back. You're making skids and you're kind of <laughs> laughing at your parents for having to change the tires. Exactly. That's me in a nutshell. <laughs> right on. All right. So imagine you're Harry Skidini, bike magician extraordinaire. So you are going to make biking more awesome for everybody with the stroke of your magic dropper post. What kind of things are you going to do? Well, of course, we've had a couple of great inputs uh, on these closeout questions uh, already, so it's kind of hard to come up with an original one. But um, I guess uh, my my department uh, between the two of us is probably more the the uh, the, the, the fitness and uh, and uh, the, you know the uh, kind of the, the training aspects of of, of cycling. And um, I think with my magic dropper post, I would guide. A gift, um, a lot more fitness on everyone because I believe uh, riding a bike is much more fun if you can ride it fast, um, and that's uh, uphill as well as downhill. And uh, you'll be surprised how much fitness it needs to ride a bike downhill fast. So I think it's going to be make it better for anyone. I will definitely uh, cont- uh, attest. You sign up for I, that. I will. <laughs> I, take, I will. Yeah. I take Morse. I take Morse. <laughs> I'll take two samples, um, but I will definitely attest. Uh, I, I definitely will feel a lot of fitness if I understand how to go downhill fast. So, yeah, currently don't know how to down, go downhill fast, but I, I, I almost feel like I've inspired your answer there because I'm not so fast. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just because you bring heavy bikes to all these expeditions. You know what they say about heavy bikes? They big, need big guns. <laughs> right, so number three. And normally we have our co-host read this one, but we have a very special guy reading this question today. It's co-co-host. Hi. In your personal opinion, in your heart of hearts... What makes a great skid, Pascal? <laughs> well, um, I um, again, we've also had a couple of great answers on this one. Um, I personally think there is a, the right skid for the occasion. Um, I like a good moto skid on a gravel road where you just go like super fast <laughs> around a long flat turn, put your foot out, pull the rear brake, and like big roost big skid, long kind of um, drifting um, skid. So that that is a really, really nice one. That that always gets me excited. Um, I'm also, I think one of the coolest things you can do, and I know it's very, very frowned upon, is uh, a, a very, very well-executed Scandi flick or free ride flick or whatever you want to call it. It's just one of the coolest things. You can tell me whatever you want. Um, and then what is uh, what is also a cool one, I think uh, I agree with Greg Jolliffe there, is like the, you know, you're, you're approaching approaching a big a big turn at Mac Chicken. You pull the last second, you pull your brakes, both wheels skidding, just almost crashing. And then at the last second, you let go and bring it around and flop, get around the turn and just save it. And that's just such a cool feeling. I think that's... Uh, those would be my top three skids. 
<laughs> I think I've, uh, I've outdone myself with the skids here. What do you think? Make skids legal again. <laughs> totally. We should make, we should make t-shirts. <laughs> Sending it for the trail crew. Skits and giggles. Skitsandgiggles.com slash store. <laughs> exactly. Well, with that, I guess we close out the episode today. Uh, thanks again, guys, for all the follow-up questions and the inputs. Please keep them coming. They really help to make our podcast as relevant to our listeners as possible. Also, as mentioned at the top of the show, please keep sharing our episodes with your friends and writing buddies wherever you listen. It really helps us expand our reach and allows us to talk to many more cool and interesting people like you. If you have a cool photo with one of our stickers, maybe, and you want more people to see it, just tag us on Instagram and we can share it with our ever-growing list of followers. That's it for today, guys. Bryson, thank you very much. Talk to you the next time. Ciao, Pascal. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao.